I'm Liz Logan, and you're listening to Collecting Culture, a podcast about passionate collectors and the objects they love. More than 20 years ago, Elaine Smith discovered the work of Roy McMakin, artist, architect, and designer. It started when she saw one of his bed frames in Metropolitan Home Magazine. She had recently gotten married, and she and her husband were living in San Francisco. They were in the market for some furniture, and at the time, McMakin had a showroom in L.A., so the Smiths flew down there for a visit. When Elaine walked into that showroom, she was surprised to find that she loved just about everything in it. She ended up ordering the bed frame and also a deep green couch that she says was so straightforward it reminded her of something out of a children's book. She immediately related to McMakin's aesthetic, which on first glance appears to be simple. In fact, one of his most famous pieces is called The Simple Chair. Roy McMakin started his company, Domestic Furniture, in 1987. And his work is deceptive because when you really look at it, it's not at all as simple as it seems. His hefty pieces, which are made in a sustainable manner in his Seattle workshop, harken back to the arts and crafts movement and shaker style, as well as minimalist art. His forms appear basic, though the scale is often exaggerated. And then he adds these idiosyncratic details, woodwork inlays that look like patches, mismatched knobs of varying sizes on a dresser, several shades of one color on a single piece. His work, which includes sculptures, has been shown in many museums and galleries. Elaine became interested in art and design when she was just a kid. Her grandfather was the sculptor Frank Vitor, who created a number of grand public statues in Pittsburgh. Before he came to America in 1920, he studied in Paris with Rodin. Elaine grew up visiting his studio, and her design interest grew after she spent time in Holland as an exchange student and then again as an adult. After she discovered Roy McMakin's work, it became an enduring passion for her. She collected more than 30 of his pieces total, and she continues to collect his work to this day. Here are some excerpts from our conversation. I know your collecting started with the simple bed and the couch. And then how did it snowball from there? So what happened was that um, we got the couch and the bed. And this was in a a two-bedroom flat we lived in, in San Francisco. And shortly after that, we moved to the Netherlands for a year and a half for my husband's work. And when we came back, we bought a Victorian in Oakland, a a large Victorian. And so when we moved into this house, we had, we had the bed and we had the couch from Roy. And then we had this kind of ragtag collection of other furniture, uh, like 20th century modern stuff that I had in another apartment previous apartment in the city. So we move into this Victorian, it's four bedrooms. There are two sunrooms, two living rooms and, you know, 11 and a half foot ceilings. So a kind of a large scale house and our 20th century modern furniture looked kind of silly in it. 
because it was so small. It was scaled towards apartment living in San Francisco. So we started thinking about how we were going to furnish the house. And I always came back to Roy's furniture because it was what I liked more than any other furniture. And, um, and as it turned out, the scale of his furniture was absolutely perfect for this house because his furniture tends to be large. And, and so you could, you could, you could furnish a room with a few pieces of Roy's furniture and it looked and it, and it was just, it was just right. You didn't need a ton of it. Well, <laughs> we ended up sort of uh, over the years acquiring a ton of it because every time I need, you know, every time we were like, well, we need a couch for this room, we would think, well, let's get another Roy couch. And, uh, and we needed, I mean, we didn't buy beds for the kids, but we ended up furnishing the dining room, the dining room table and chairs. There's a big chest in there. Um, we had chest of drawers made for ourselves and a kitchen table and chairs and stools for the kitchen island. And it just became a collaboration over several years of working with him to put this house together because I, I then had another child and we were going to stay here for a while. In a way, it, it, it shouldn't necessarily work, except that there was no way I was going to go with the Victorian theme because I'm very much not into that theme. In fact, I don't even really like Victorian houses, which was nice to, so if you, you put, if you fill a Victorian house with Roy McMakin furniture, you don't really have a Victorian house. So that was, that was nice. And, um, and it didn't, it didn't clash in any way. I mean, I think you could put Roy's furniture in any, in any setting because it, uh, I mean, it, it just is what it is. It's a simple piece of furniture that it's almost like just the definition of, of, of furniture. It's not just, it's not any particular era. It's like memory. It's, it's like the memory of furniture. How would you characterize his work to someone who doesn't know anything about it? Okay. I would say that if you're looking for a piece of furniture that you will like forever, that it will be useful, that will be comfortable, that'll make sense, but that has built into it, in many cases, some sense of humor or some intelligence that kind of goes beyond its simplicity. And it's ex exceptionally well-made furniture. I really don't know any other furniture that's as well-made as his furniture. So in that regard, uh, it's just, there. it's an amazing investment. But also, like, I, I feel... I feel a sort of, um, you know, the, the furniture has personality, but not too much. You don't want your furniture to be like screaming for attention all the time. So 
I think it's simple, beautifully made, has a sense of humor, and his painted furniture is un, just unbelievable. I mean, the, the, the finish that his painters get on the furniture is a very exceptional sort of luscious thing. So it's not glossy and it's not matte. Right, right. It's somewhere between the two. And um, I have seen them paint the furniture. So I can tell you that even though it looks like it's been done by not even a machine, but some, you know, uh, celestial being, it's actually done by human beings who are extremely skilled. And it's layer upon layer of, of, um, of this beautiful Dutch paint. And we talked about how like a table of his kind of looks like the platonic ideal of a table, like a table you would see on a, on a flashcard when you're in kindergarten, when you're learning the word table. Um, and that, but that there are these, these patches of wood that he uses. Tell me, tell me about the patches. Okay. The patches, um, as I understand it, started because, well, in any, any piece of wood, there are imperfections or knots that you uh, don't want. So the woodworkers started to make patches that they would in, inlay pieces of other wood to uh, get rid of the knot. But over the years of them all doing that, it's sort of they're more, they really got into the patches as, as you know, intrinsic to the piece of furniture they sort of became like patches on jeans. Um, and they, some of the patches are layered one, you know, they, they intersect and, you know, Roy even has one little occasional table that's called, I think it's super patchy, but I could have the name wrong, but it's a, a table that just is a mass of patches and it's, it's really beautiful. It's, it's been in his shows. So he's taking he's taken a woodworking technique and made it into a design element. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then also he loves not it well, it seems to me he loves knobs. Like you have some yeah. pieces of furniture that have knobs of different sizes. Mhm. Yeah. Uh there's one round table that we have, a little uh side table that has one drawer in it. And it looks sort of like a hat box on a on a stand. And um, it has one knob on it. I actually got three different knobs that I could change on this piece. One was like the size of, you know, smaller, slightly smaller than a baseball. Another one was sm- like the size of a, uh, like a walnut. <laughs> and And one was painted white. The other was oak like the table and so they were they're you know you could use whichever one you wanted at, at any given time that's pretty weird like you could custom I, I i can't think of another furniture furniture designer who's like please customize my work i'll give you three different knobs well it was actually um in that in that instance it was because roy also did this table for um the cat in the hat movie, I think was what it was. And I saw it and I said, Oh my God, I love that. 
um, that great big huge knob. And his one of his uh, woodworkers made one for me and sent it down in a in a little ziplock and said, "Here, if you want it so badly, <laughs> you can swap it out." Ah, and did you actually swap out between the different knobs? Yeah. Okay. And then speaking of knobs, while we're on knobs, and and Roy's love of knobs, he picked out a painting for you at one point that has a bunch of doorknobs on it. How did that happen? Yeah. Um, well, it's funny. I had I had in this one uh, living room in the house, I had a very, very large mirror that was propped up against the wall, which Roy hated. It was a look that Roy really did not like. And he happened to be in um, in New York and went into a ga- gallery and saw this painting, which was about the size of that mirror. And he loved the painting. And he he told me, he sent me a picture of it and said, you know, he thought it would go really well in that place where the mirror was, which was his subtle way of saying, get rid of that mirror. And um, so the gallery sent the painting in a tube for me to look at, and I absolutely loved it. It's a watercolor uh, with a, you know, a blue background and which of, of sort of a head, and there are floating doorknobs throughout this, you know, layered over the head, and it's just, it's it's a beautiful piece of work. So to go back a little bit, um, because by that point you had really been working with him on your, your, the interior of your house as a whole and these different spaces, right? Yeah. I mean, we, you know, he was never hired as an interior designer. Yeah. He doesn't do that, but, um, Roy would come down and look at the house or we'd go up to Seattle and, um, visit him in the workshop there. And, uh, it just, it, he, he would make suggestions or we would just, we would talk about it. And then, so that's how that came about. I mean, he basically, you trusted his judgment. Oh, enormously. I mean, I'm, I'm the kind of person who likes to choose my own things, but if, if, you know, I mean, I would have said, Roy, how about you just do my house and call me in six months and I'll, I'll move back in because, you know, everything that he liked, I liked, and I would like it immediately. And, and I'd be so excited that somebody had that, had shown it to me and it was exactly right. So it, there was no, um, I, I was not resistant to any of his ideas. I, I grew up in Pennsylvania and Roy grew up I can't remember if it was Wisconsin or, or, or where, but we were actually born on the same day and the same year. So we were exactly the same age. And um, that was interesting to find out. Uh, so anyway, so like culturally growing up, we had, we had the same influences, some of the same influences. I mean, that was a time when like, you know, there were three, television stations in America. So if you watch the nightly news, you watch Walter Cronkite or, um, you know, we lived through the sixties and the seventies and the eighties together or in this, during those cultural times. 
So you really felt from the beginning like he was like the designer who really spoke to your soul and like understood your point of view. Yes, except that I would say that I more understood his point of view because he was the one who was realizing all of it. And there was absolutely no uh, what do you call uh, breaking in period? There was no. I didn't have to come up to speed with what he was referencing. I got it immediately. There was no barrier to speak of, like in trying to understand what he was doing. I just got it. What he was referencing, I got it immediately. There was no barrier to speak of, like in trying to understand what he was doing. I just got it. Of all the Roy McMakin pieces in your house, do you have a favorite? I know you have a pink desk that you're really passionate about. That's a really, really hard one. I, I'm absolutely in love with Roy's simple chairs. And I, I have actually, I've, I've bought two of my own uh, after I was divorced because I just needed to have a couple more. And I loved the colors of those. But the pink uh, table and chair, one of the reasons why I especially like it is because the first time I saw that was in a gallery in, um, in Los Angeles. And when I walked in, I loved absolutely everything that, of Roy's that was in there. But when I saw the pink table and chair, I thought that is the ugliest color of pink I've ever seen in my life. Who would ever want that pink? And then over the months of like thinking about that table and why I didn't like it so much, I actually came to need a a desk or I thought I needed a desk um, to write at. So I was talking to one of the people who worked for Roy at the time and I mentioned that pink desk and somehow or other I decided to buy it. And the most, the strange thing is that now I absolutely, I cannot get enough of that pink. The the front stairs of my house are painted that shade of pink, not exactly because it's, they're all custom mixed colors and, it wasn't matched perfectly, but I love that pink. It's almost like, it's almost like my color of pink now. So. And it's a very like Pepto-Bismol pink. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the closest thing I can say about the color, but it's really not Pepto-Bismol because that is a God awful pink, but this pink is deep. It's, it's deeper. It's not candy colored, certainly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It doesn't have that sickening candy color to it. It's like, it's a very sort of salmon, sort of coral, a really kind of a strange pink, but it is so, so beautiful. I can't get enough of it. And does, did he pick that particular paint color or does it come from mixing shades? Oh no, he 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 mixed that color himself. He 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 custom mixes all of his colors. And what do you love about the simple chairs? They are so simple. Um oh my god, I I don't know what it is about them. I just can't 
get enough of the proportion. Um, I like sitting on them, even though they're really hard. I like sitting on them. Um, I like the weight of them. They're really heavy. Like if, if you bump into a piece of Roy McMakin's furniture, you are going to get a bruise. But um, there's a sturdiness and just the perfection of the proportions, I guess, is what it is. And the two that I specifically commissioned for myself are painted. One's painted a, a, a gray and the other is sort of an army fatigue green or somewhere between olive and an army fatigue green. And I love those colors. They're very, um, they're very drab, but, but deep. And we talked a little about his colors generally being kind of playful and kind of classic, but those don't strike me as playful. Um, no, come to think of it, no. They're like colors, like in, in the woods. And, and when I was a little kid, I lived in West Virginia for a while uh, with my family, and I spent a lot of time out in the woods. And um, and these are, you know, sort of natural, very nature colors. They're cool, but he does, and he also does, you know, a lot of white, a white painted furniture and in different shades of white. He kind of taught me about how many different whites there are in the world because we have uh, around the, our dine, uh, kitchen table there are three benches that intersect in in an unusual way because they fit into a a bay window, and there are three different shades of white. And then there are two simple chairs in that same table and benches and chairs configuration that are also two different shades of white. And they, they look absolutely beautiful together. Like, like just having one shade of white now seems weird to me. So he suggested that you have different shades of white in your kitchen on these benches. Yes. Why? Um, well, that, that's his thing. I mean, he, he does uh, chests of drawers that ha might have, there's a chest of drawers, a green one that he did that has uh, different shades of green on the drawers. And um, it's just interesting. And it gives it more depth or... Um, It has greater intellect or something. I don't know. There's something about it that really works. You and your family made several trips up to Seattle to visit Roy at his studio and see the furniture being made. What parts of the process did you find particularly interesting? Um, well, his upholsterer was absolutely incredible. Incredible. He, his work was... It, it is the most meticulous upholstery work I've ever seen. He did, you know, a lot of hand stitching. Uh, Roy likes to patch together or use different pieces of material on different parts of the same piece of furniture. And um, so that was really, really, really incredible. In the design world... 
Roy McMakin is quite famous. He's designed furniture and homes for celebrities, and his furniture has appeared in movies. So I talked to Elaine a bit about what it's like to have furniture by a famous designer, where she shops, and how living in Holland years ago shaped her passion for design. I want to backtrack a bit to the time you spent in Holland when you were in your early 30s. It seems like that must have been a really formative time for you in terms of learning about design. I mean, when when I went, went back later, you know, when I was in my 30s and we lived in The Hague then, um, that was, I went to the frozen fountain in Amsterdam where you could see um, uh, Pete Hein Eck's work and other Dutch designers that I have since become like also a rabid fan of Dutch designers. That's the chair that goes with your desk. Uh, yeah, but that that's not supposed to be there. It was there for a while because I just kind of liked putting um, a different chair there. I have two of those and they're now in one of the living rooms and the pink chair is back with its table. And also while you were in Holland, you started collecting art deco ceramic pieces by Charles Cateau, Mm -hmm. the French industrial designer. And those pieces are quite ornate compared to your Roy McMakin pieces. How did you come to have those Cateau pieces? So I would go into the center of the Hague and look in the antique shops and prowl around during the day with my kid in a stroller. And I, there were a lot of really, really amazing ceramics in these places. And as it turns out, they were um, Art Deco and Art Nouveau. And at first, I, I mean, I looked at them and I, I liked them, but I, they didn't really, I didn't feel like I had to have them or anything. But but once I bought one that was um, Belgian, actually, it wasn't Charles Cateau, but it was another one. It had great graphic painting on it. Um, I, and that that kind of started it all. And then I, um, I went into a store in Harlem in the Netherlands that, and the dealer there was a really well-known woman who, you know, had kind of museum quality ceramics and, um, Rietveld and all kinds of other things. And then I started getting more into it there. And gradually one of the pieces was done by Charles Cateau. And then I got a book about him and I just started to get more and more intrigued by his work. I don't really care for art deco furniture, for example, but there are always exceptions within any, um, you know, kind of uh, genre of furniture, decorative arts. And so, so I was, I'm always open. I'm open to it. And I'm also open to being converted because I kind of find that exciting to not like something at first and then to, um, learn a lot about it or, or just keep looking until something clicks and you kind of get where it's all coming from or like the particular lines of sort of stylized art deco uh, glazes or whatever starts to, you just, you just like it. Or maybe you don't, I feel like sometimes you don't like art deco as a whole, but you like this one person's really, this one person's work in particular. 
And then, you know, and then that can start like a domino effect. If you start liking his, then you start like looking, suddenly you're, you're, you're noticing the art deco influences and things. And there was, there's a lot of art deco and art nouveau in Holland and Belgium. So I was just going into interiors that were full blown art nouveau and they were cool. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the, we were living in a big house in the Hague that, uh, it had like four floors and the man who was renting us our flat also lived in the building. And he was, he's, he's an absolutely rabid collector uh, of antiques. And he, he went to the auction houses in Amsterdam every week. He was, he had so many different things in his apartment and he, he really loved to like show me things and take me into the um, auction houses with him and he liked Empire. Now, I really have no interest in Empire, but it, what he had was great. And, it, and his enthusiasm for it, you know, made me not dismiss that as well. So to go back to Roy McMeekin, when you first discovered him, was he as well known as he is now? I feel like people who were sort of in the know were well aware of Roy by the time I I found out about him and um, I don't think he ever set out to be famous. I don't think um, I never ever was drawn to his work because I thought, Oh, I can brag that I have uh, a house full of Roy McMakin furniture. I mean, most of my friends do not know who he is. Um, and they might admire my furniture and they might admire the way my house looks but no one is um, thinking I have famous furniture, even though I do have a few pieces that have traveled to his museum shows. The actual, your, your pieces have actually traveled to museum shows. I mean, uh, there's a chest of drawers that was in a show at uh, the Shelburne Museum in Shelburne, Vermont. My pink desk and chair uh, was in the... Uh, Mocha at in Los Angeles, and then also at a show in Seattle. But that's sort of like I feel that they are my. Um, that's just my secret between me and my chest of drawers. That it's a famous little chest of drawers, and it's in my bathroom. I mean, it's not like in in a gallery, and I use it every single day. And my pink tape desk or table and chair is in my bedroom, and. I love that every single day as well. He's had some exhibits of his work recently in galleries and such. And the way he talks about his furniture is like, kind of like he didn't set out to make furniture, but almost as if he is really setting out to make art, but it just happens to be functional and it happens to be furniture. Um, What do you think of that idea? And do you think furniture should be like art? I think furniture should be whatever you want your furniture to be. But I don't think, you know, there's a, there's a difference between the kind of the furniture that Roy does um, for his art exhibits. That is, I, I mean, I, there are shows that he's had where the furniture isn't really intended necessarily to be used. Um, but things that he's done for homes 
to me, it's art. It's art. It has a proportion. It has a, um, um, I don't want to say integrity. It has an intention and an integrity and a, uh, a point of view. And if that speaks to you, you're going to like it. And, and I, in some ways I do feel like, I mean, I think his work is art, but I don't think of it as, um, precious. Like we've, we've knocked that furniture around just like anybody does living with furniture. Uh, sometimes I've been like super sad to see a dent in a perfectly painted surface of a chest of drawers. But I, I tend to like talk myself into getting over it immediately because what's the point of feeling bad about, about that? <laughs> so I've, um, I live, I live with it every day. I, I don't, I'm not intimidated by it. It is furniture. It is there to serve me. It's there for me to love it. And, um, and it's going to have wear and tear and show the history. Where do you like to shop? I, I actually don't really, now that I have a house (laughs) full of things, I don't really shop that often anymore. Um, and I'm finding it more and more difficult to find stores that are that interesting. Um, cause I like stores that are really unique to the person who has them. Um, there's a store in San Francisco, Bellocchio that I think is an, an incredible store. And in New York, my favorite place is BDDW and, uh, his new store, which is called the M Crow and company. And I follow Tyler Hayes. He's the owner and designer on Instagram. And I mean, I've followed him over the years since, since he's first been in business too. And, um, his furniture and ceramics, rugs, everything are spectacular. So as someone who is really passionate about design, is also a creative person, how has it influenced you to have all this Roy McMakin stuff around you? Like, how has that changed your life? Hmm. Well, um, I, I guess the main way it changed my life was it put furniture in my house. And it was furniture that I... Um, that I really loved. It was really gratifying. I have, I've never grown tired of it. It's, it's my friend. I mean, every piece I have of his feels like a friend to me. There's, there's nothing frustrating about any single piece of furniture that we ever bought from Roy. Um, it's all still there. It's hanging in there with me. Um, it looks great. It's peaceful. I mean, I don't know if that's, thing you can say about furniture, but it doesn't ask a lot of me. I know exactly how to take care of it. And, um, I, my environment really is like enormously important to me. I have to feel like, um, like if I look around and I see something that's jarring or ugly, um, I don't, I don't want that interruption. Um, so I tend to 
surround myself with only things that I really like. I mean, I'm very careful about what I buy or bring into my house. And it feels really good. It just feels good to like have to know myself well enough that I've made these decisions about his furniture or the art I have on my walls or the kind of sheets I buy or um, the lighting, which is hugely important. He's actually done a number of lamps for us also. Um, so that it all, when it's all put together, it's, it's just a quiet, cool, fun to look at, inviting, but very, very comfortable place. Like people really love my house and, um, I've become more of a slob over the years, <laughs> which everybody seems to like. And, um, it's a casual house that people really feel comfortable here. The music and editing for this podcast was provided by my co-producer, my brother, Andrew Logan. More of his work can be found at logansound.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love it if you'd subscribe, rate us in your podcast app of choice, and tell your friends. For more photos and details from this and our other episodes, visit collectingculturepodcast.com. Or show us your collection by tagging Collecting Culture Podcast on Instagram. We'll be back next month with another collector.